0: So how do we have some of those uncomfortable conversations? Let's let's have one today on the nonpartisan evangelical. And I'm Paul Swerling. let me play that open.
1: We're talking religion and politics on the nonpartisan evangelical podcast. I could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody, and I wouldn't lose any voters. Okay. Challenging the mindset of the partisan evangelical church and asking the question, Is God really a conservative Republican, and does God require His followers to be? Podcasting worldwide on the NPE Network at npepodcast.com. This is the Nonpartisan Evangelical Podcast with the nonpartisan evangelical himself, your host, Paul Swearengen.
0: All right, welcome to the Nonpartisan Evangelical Podcast. I am Paul Swearengin, and we I always like to do on here for uh, the people who listen in is I always say I want to give proximity. I want them to hear voices of people that they don't hear on a daily basis in their neighborhood, perhaps, or just in their daily conversation. And I was recently having a conversation with somebody, and it challenged me made me think and I thought, okay, that's a person I've got to get on the NPE podcast. So here she is, Ashley Rojas, who in her professional life is executive director of Fresno Barrios Unidos. And I hope my gringo use of that title is okay. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, and then is just a, a very wise person in her own life. And so welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, thank you so much for the invitation.
0: Yeah, so you, it, it, and just by your position professionally, we we get the idea that you're working with communities that are different than maybe some of our white evangelical community know about, or or are very familiar with. And so, even even as we were getting prepared for the show, I was asking you, what is the what is the proper way we speak of the community that you you deal with and work with on a daily basis?
1: Yeah, and, and what I was sharing with you um was the way that Fresno Barrios Unidos um and the way that I in, in my professional work um talk about my community when asked, right, to describe them in in a way um that fits with public health models or um even philanthropy, et cetera. Um we will talk about our community as um a group of folks. Um often black indigenous people of color who have been historically and systemically put at risk. And that's in place of, you know, you might've heard folks say like at risk youth or even, you know, at promise youth. Um, But what we really want to acknowledge is that there are systemic and historical factors that have um, created the conditions in which our community live and that there is no innate risk or um, flaw in those people.
0: So when we say at risk youth, we're almost, creating a self-fulfilling prophecy in some ways.
1: Right. We're projecting onto them a a deficit. And we're saying, you know, and this is sort of gets into um, school systems will say a lot about like an academic achievement gap, but they won't talk about an expectation gap where do we expect the same level of success from all young people? Um, Are we providing young people with equitable investments to reach the same goals? Um, But instead we'll just talk about sort of like the failure um, without acknowledging um the inequity of investment from yeah. the community as a whole, and not just the school system.
0: So, so let me ask a question, and I apologize ahead of time for sort of the ignorance and flippancy of this question. But I guess the question that a lot of people would ask in talking to somebody like you is, you know, "What's the problem?" I, I I think the people that are in sort of the white evangelical middle, middle to upper middle class socioeconomic groups, I think they want everybody to be happy and healthy and taken care of and truly have a heart for that. But they just are kind of like, what's the deal? And it feels like we've done a lot and still we have the problems. And so can I ask very gently and lovingly, what's the problem and how do you define it for people that that may not work with the groups that you work with?
1: That's a, that's a lot I could I could talk for a while about this. (laughs) You Um, can't answer that
0: in in three sentences or less. No,
1: what's the problem? Um, So, I mean, again, you'll hear folks say like a lack of um, wealth distribution or, um, you know, higher crime rates due to poverty and all of these things that are very much so um, documentable, you know, issues. Um, But. What we don't often acknowledge again is the systemic and historical um, context that has curated communities like the one I'm from, and and which is the very one I serve. I grew up in southeast. um, My mom was 15 when I was born, which, you know, is a result of a whole set of circumstances. and um my family still lives in the same community that I now have the privilege of serving um and so it it really is much deeper than um a single problem or even a single generation that we have to actually um understand uh the historical context that has created um that you know towns city states borders um. Policies, laws, regulations, and, and who were they created for, and, and, you know, um, for and by, and, and who was actually designed out of, um, those things. And so I think it's really important to, um, you know, step into our discomfort, um, uh, with a lot of love and tenderness, because it will be, um, a painful journey for us all to, um, honestly, um, explore our history. Hmm. Our shared history and then the history that has been um, manufactured to uphold a certain ideology. Um, and then the history from some of us that has been stolen.
0: Hmm. Mm-hmm. So you're saying some heavy things there.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the the problem is, is dense if you really want to unpack it. Yeah. I mean, we can keep doing things like, um, you know giving folks bus passes so that they, you know, have transportation. Um but until we truly acknowledge the root cause of the of the wound in in our shared community, um and I don't just mean Fresno, I mean in our country. Um where's where's this wound coming from? It it's like if you keep putting band-aids over a, you know, a festering wound. It's not going to get better. It's going to start looking different. You might get a growth over it, um but it's not going to get it's not going to be healed.
0: Yeah. And I I think that's important, and and that's why. And again, I'm sorry for the insensitivity of the question, but I'm trying to think of you know as our uh, as people are listening to this. Sometimes this is where where their mind sort of goes. And so, what does that difficult conversation sound like? And and part of what I'm doing, if you're listening here, and and we have listeners from around the country. So one of the things that Ashley's talking about here is southeast Fresno, southwest Fresno are kind of known as the poorer areas of our town while the people of more resources have moved North and North and North as the, as the city boundaries have grown. And, and so we do have sort of this feel of, you have these left behind cultures that are, are, are struggling a little bit more, but I know even that language is not fair to the people that live in those neighborhoods that, like you said, you love the neighborhood. You wouldn't, you wouldn't leave it. You just want to see more opportunity for. Yeah. And success
1: for that neighborhood for me doesn't mean it looks like our neighborhoods in North Fresno. Right. It means it looks more like itself. Um, it means it um, is as colorful and vibrant and multi-generational and multi-ethnic and, um, collaborative as our communities are organically, um, with more sovereignty, um, with more resource, um, because it won't look the same because we are not the same.
0: Hmm. So it's not necessarily just about getting a target to come into the neighborhood. Huh? no. <laughs> 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 Which will make everything all right if you, get a, if you can get a Target in.
1: I would. I would take a couple of grocery stores
0: before yeah. before a Target. Yeah. And, and there is a there is a dearth of all those things and 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 uh, and healthcare op- places to go for healthcare and all of those things mm-hmm. and those are, are valuable and important. Competent
1: but, quality healthcare that values again the cultural um, orientation to wellness that our community carries. Um. Again, it's when things are not designed with you in mind. Mm. Um that that they don't cultivate the solution they're aiming
0: to Wow, tell me more about that. What how do you see that happening or how have you seen that
1: happen? I think there's a movement in in health um in health systems and public health um to uh, acknowledge um culture, and this is something Fresno Barrios Unidos has done for a number of years in alliance with, um, folks like the National Compadres Network and Sons and Brothers is, um, and locally a group of, um, elders, um, under an organization name of, uh, Integral Community Solutions Institute. All of these folks who have been doing this work for, um, decades since the sixties, like original movement leaders, um, reclaiming their identity as chicanos as latinx people as black people um under the same system saying you know we are not um of european descent we are not western white people our culture is different we have different ways of engagement um different family structures um and if a health system was never designed with me in mind and my culture and my history and my norms and my nuances um then every time i go to get what i need from that system i'm having to navigate hurdles um that are there because it was not designed with me in mind
0: hmm. so that's interesting yeah, and and maybe and this this sort of plays into a lot of the national narrative of things right now that maybe we as white people need to understand that being us isn't necessarily american you know that that is not the whole definition of what is what is american is that is that a fair part of the conversation
1: i think that um being american um is a whole conversation on its own what yeah. does it mean to be American um who is American who is America um these are all questions that I think um are beyond deserving of conversation and and so um rich with depth that it's a little hard to find a place to start um but again
0: so that looked like that was painful for you to, to think about that
1: you know I I thought about um the doctrine of discovery um and even just the claim that you have arrived to a place, and so now it's yours. Hmm. Um, my family um, has been on this land since as long as anybody can remember. Um, I did twenty three and me, um, and I think it's over forty five percent Native American. Yeah. Um. To native to the land that is now Mexico, Texas, and California. Mm-hmm. Um. And so. As far as my DNA tells me, I've always been on this land, um, and I you don't lived here
0: longer than I have.
1: <laughs> and I don't think um, I fit like the American identity hmm. because America, um, or because I'm older than America, because yeah. where I come from, the people I'm from are older than America.
0: Hmm. So tell me why. Why does that bring pain for you? And and I'm and I'm not saying that's a weakness at all. I, I just love to explore no, that No, I'm kind of I'm
1: really tender-hearted. Yeah. Um, and I've worked really hard to cultivate. Um, well, I hope it's okay that yeah. I ask. it. You can always yeah. tell me stop Paul at any <laughs> time.
0: I'm just I just love exploring this stuff because I I think it's really important for us to hear it. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we've heard a voice like yours often enough.
1: Mm. I could point you in the direction of a lot of brilliant people yeah, um, yeah. that I learn from every single day too. Yeah. And, and it's because I'm choosing to learn. Um, and I'm choosing to unlearn. Um, and I think that that's a choice more people, um, would benefit from making is that I'm going to pursue my learning and unlearning and not just wait for it to find me. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I, it just reminds me, and that's me that. really
0: all of our responsibility, isn't it? Yeah, yeah,
1: that we have to continue to learn and unlearn and um live in that place of malleability because we are all sharing space, hmm. right? This is a team sport, no matter how we want right. to think of it. Um, and so why it brings pain, um, I think. Because I have heard a lot of story. Um, I also think because, um, I carry wounds that have been passed down from generations of navigating, um, this experience of dominance, right? Like, we're going to take this, it's ours, now it's this way, and this is the way to be, um, and this is professional, and this is not. Mm. And um, all of that um, rule-setting, right, by folks who are new, yeah. <laughs> um, it, it lives in, in my body in different ways. And um, the more I do my own healing work, the easier it is for me to feel into my community, um, and into my, um, generations. Mm-hmm. Like when I talk to my grandmother and she tells me stories about boarding schools in Texas, um, and about being punished for speaking her own language, um, that wounds me mm-hmm. because at a certain point, um, folks in my family and folks in families like mine stop speaking our language f- for safety. Wow. So we lose our culture. To assimilate, and sometimes we reject our culture for assimilation and safety and access to resource. Mm -hmm. Um, And then some of us become the ones harming each other the most. Um, And it's all the complexity, it's the complexity of that whole experience um, that when I really take a moment to sit in it, um, it becomes really visceral and I can feel it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So even I would assume uh, uh, a term like make America great again. Doesn't sound like a very appetizing choice and possibility maybe for you.
1: I often just want to ask folks, and what does that mean to you? Yeah. What is, what is your, tell me about your great America.
0: And what, do you get any answers to that?
1: Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Um. You know, I'll get a lot of really proud statements of like, you know, patriotism and, you know, protection and we're 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 here to be hard-working people and um and it's not often that i'll push too much further than that because yeah. again it's about like am i really willing to do this right now <laughs> especially if it's in my personal <laughs> life on my downtime and it's something i can really i don't get a lot of choices mm-hmm. in terms of i um, having this conversation or not and sure i made the choice that this is my work it's not just my life but i'm um, in my life right i live this and so other folks get to opt into learning about systemic oppression about generational violence about the impacts of genocide and human trafficking as the origins of a country um and some of us just live it Mm -hmm. and so um it's not often that i'll opt into um (laughs) A conversation of that degree. I mean, with friends of mine, yeah, we'll kick around a can all day. Um, but somebody who I can feel is is just deep in their pride, and um, I am gonna make the invest. I'm gonna make the choice to not invest my energy there. Yeah, yeah.
0: I I, I call that the you know, the people with eyes to see and ears to hear. And if they just are shut down to anything, it's really kind of a waste of air and space to spend yeah. a lot of time talking about it.
1: Yeah, and so that I. I mentioned to, this to you earlier too, and so that I don't hurt myself with anger or frustration, I just try to have compassion for them. Mm-hmm. I really do, and not in a pitying way at all, but truly. How do I sit in my values and beliefs and cultivate compassion for somebody um, who is holding on to an ideology so firmly, and um, you know, get curious about? why you know they're holding on so tight to something um and whenever i've known people to hold on that tight to things um it's usually because they're afraid or they don't want to feel like they don't know because not knowing things is really destabilizing Mm -hmm. um so i just try to fall back into my work and you know go do something that's good for me
0: (laughs) yeah and i i think it is a lot that culture is changing um I mean, just the the very easy to look around us and say, okay, the baby boomer generation is is coming to its end. Uh, the millennial generation is is uh, is I start to say ascending. I don't know if that's the right term. Is, is stepping into leadership roles. I, I was telling somebody this last week. You know, millennials aren't kids anymore. They have kids. Now. I'm thirty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and so just that is causing attention. And I think if you have people who aren't willing to learn and adapt and adjust then it does become a a, a sort of fight of victims saying you know these people are trying to take something from us and
1: And parenting styles are shifting i think like um my mom isn't a boomer she was again 15 when i was born so she's um i think she's gen
0: she'd be an Xer.
1: yeah she's gen x um but she's married to a boomer. Okay. And so as a young – and she didn't get married to him until I was about 15, which is a pretty tough time to try to step in and, you know, assert authority um, for him anyway. And, yeah, it was really complicated. He had this whole other way of parenting that was um, really dominant based Like, no, I'm older than you and I said this, um, which I think is true to the culture of, of like, boomer culture. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, this is the rules. Um, and, um, number one, I didn't grow up like an average kid. I played parent to my little sister cause my mom was at work and I had to assume responsibility and, um, be on the team. Mm. Um, and so, you know, we had a little bit of a culture clash. <laughs>
0: <laughs> There's a lot of that going around these days. Yeah. But I think, and I think what's in, what I enjoy about the conversation is I just think we need to hear hear the pain, and so I'm I am sorry the question draws pain, but I think it's important to hear, and and important. I think it's a really hard concept for even somebody like me, a Midwestern boy growing up, and moved to California in college. That even the concept of what is what is American, and that in a lot of ways we sort of say you have to become us mm-hmm. to be okay and appropriate, and in even that being a a difficult or a difficulty for somebody to hear. Then if I'm living as a victim of, Hey, everything's changing around me and I don't want it to change. Then I become defensive and Mm -hmm. can't hear that. So Mm -hmm. in some ways it's the conversations I'm trying to have with people is like, Hey, let's lay down our defenses Mm -hmm. and start to hear why we're in this clash. Why there people are being hurt by what we do Mm -hmm. when our intention isn't to hurt, Mm -hmm. but it is, you know, Mm -hmm. so I
1: just think a lot about, just mortality and how much human beings, people resist, um, don't want to be adjacent to the, to our own mortality, our own fragility. Um, you know, we'll intellectualize ourselves away from, um, the fact that our bodies are primitive, they're simple and they have An expiration date and we don't get to be doing this forever um and so sometimes i just again try to sit in my compassion with folks and and like they're wrestling with like a generational shift and i think folks are also wrestling with um feeling their own mortality which i think happens at every intersection of generations um there's a little bit of a power struggle um and you know and i think that's also because as a as Americans, we don't center and celebrate our elders. They just sort of become obsolete or right. obsessed with youth, with power, with strength, with, um, the, with ableness, right. Being able bodied. Right. Um, and once you don't have those things, you, you lose social or cultural value. Yeah. Um, and so I wonder about that too. Um, and in my community, right. Our elders are sort of the center. Yeah. Our elders and our littles, they're, they're the heart. Um, like, you know, I canvas and I knock on my great grandmother's door and sit in bed with her for 20 minutes. And, you know, that's what it's about.
0: Yeah. And if the two generations could really honor each other that mm-hmm. way, that, that would take away a lot of the fear. And mm-hmm. then it's this idea of, Oh, if I'm on the government dole, that's a, that's a negative thing. Mm-hmm. And our, and our boomers in some ways are, are headed that way. And they're yeah. getting government healthcare and, and social security and all and that things. we
1: will all need help at some point. Yeah. And if we were lucky enough to not need help when we were younger, um, hopefully we have the humility when we're older to to settle into that help. It's really challenging.
0: Hi, everyone. This is Paul. Uh, Please allow me to interrupt this conversation with Ashley Rojas for just a moment. A conversation that is brilliant. challenging, and I hope you're finding it as interesting as I am. But I want to tell you a little bit of what we have to offer through the nonpartisan evangelical and something that's very precious to me, and that's a novel that I recently published called Joseph Comes to Town When the Religious Right Goes Religiously Wrong. And the question is, what happens when we conflate our ideology and our theology together as one? Well, you get the conservative religious right, and this novel begins to ask the question, is God really a conservative? Republican, and does he ask his people to be as well? In my book, Joseph Comes to Town, a mega church pastor who's sort of the right-wing religious leader of his city begins to have a little bit of a, a challenge to his belief system when a mysterious young man appears in town, begins doing miracles, and teaches that some of the right-wing theology of the church maybe isn't quite in alignment with God's heart. That creates a crisis, and we get to find out the answer to this question. If Jesus were on earth in the flesh today, would the church of this century hate him as much as the church did in the first century? And I'll leave it to you to find that out in the novel, Joseph Comes to Town. If you go to my website, uh, the Nonpartisan Evangelical, that's NPE podcast.com, nonpartisan evangelical, NPE podcast.com you can find out where you can link to buy the book i've self-published it or we have a special offering right now if you join our npe patreon community you can get the the book that's coming out as an audiobook series we're releasing bits of the book at a time Through our Patreon page. It's just $5.99 a month is the starting price and you get some cool stuff for joining. Uh, Some special access. Sometimes I do some things that I only offer on Patreon and I would love for you to join our NPE Patreon community and uh, with that you'll get access to the audiobook series of Joseph Comes to Town. Can the transformation of a single man be a big part of the transformation of a city? find out by reading Joseph Comes to Town or listen to The Religious Right Go Religiously Wrong by joining our nonpartisan evangelical Patreon community. Go to the website npepodcast.com. You can click on the header for either Joseph Comes to Town, the novel, or on our Patreon link, and it'll take you to the Patreon page where you can hear Joseph Comes to Town, the novel. And when you join our Patreon community, that money helps support buying the equipment, some marketing, the things we need to get this message out to the whole wide world. And we appreciate it so, so much. Now, go to the website, npepodcast.com. Check it all out today. Now, back to our intriguing, brilliant, and fun discussion with Ashley Rojas of Fresno Barrios Unidos, on the Nonpartisan Evangelical Podcast at npepodcast.com. We have Ashley Rojas with us today. She's Executive Director Professionally of Fresno Barrios Unidos and personally just a Super awesome person and uh, a 30-year-old millennial, as we've learned now. (laughs) And I I love the other day I posted something on Facebook and, and you came on and pushed back and I was talking about this idea of what if we lived in the radical middle if we weren't totally beholden to either side of the political spectrum but but could take the best of everything? And I thought it was a really great concept. And you came in and pushed back on me. And uh, so I thought that would be a fun conversation. So what was your pushback on my <laughs> idea of the radical middle?
1: I think I said yes and. yes. And. I okay. think that was right. my pushback.
0: <laughs> <laughs> What's well, a gentle pushback? And then, then.
1: I, I said I'd love to chat with you about this. Yes. And so um, I think um, the middle is a really – I think, wholesome place to want to be, really honest. And I um, can hear folks wholeheartedly yearning for that place because that place in a perfect world would be the the place, right? Like right right here where everybody fits. um, And with our current, I think our current place in the way we're experiencing politics – and the extremism on both ends, certainly, yeah. but um, the extremism of our current administration our current presidential administration um makes the middle um a little bit of a cop out gotcha um i I really can see why people want to be there and right now is not the moment um because because some of us um Some of us are dying because of this. Mm. And so it it just makes the middle um, feel like a gut punch a little bit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because I don't think saying like um, that I'm deserving of resource, I'm deserving of more than survival, I'm deserving of um, access to resources that truly don't belong – um, to those who are hoarding them, um, I don't think that that takes anything from folks who are on the right um, f- for reasons softer than the extremism of the current administration. And so I don't think you lose anything by siding with those of us who are who stand to lose a lot.
0: so to you, the middle is is not standing with people that need people to stand with them. Right. In a in a season where so tell me how how is how, how are the the people that and again I'm sorry I don't know all that but kind of the the communities that you deal with how are they experiencing the political atmosphere today because we've talked a little bit about that you and I and I find I find the take on that interesting and important for people to know. Mm-hmm. And I know you don't want to get too political and your job doesn't even allow you to get too political <laughs> but maybe just how how that's experienced? You were telling me about that, and I found that interesting.
1: Yeah, we've talked a lot about, and I'll just talk about one one point. Um, I mean, I could, I could go at this from a couple of different ways, but let's say like immigration, right? Um, and everybody will say like Obama was doing it too, um, but or and um, the rhetoric, right? Um, folks that are being. Um, like dog whistled to um come out of the shadows right like that that um and the psychological right trauma that then manifests physically into actual disease in my community mm. um that's what I'm talking about is that like this rhetoric um and this is I think what what I try to get out with almost everything is and I the re- I'm sorry dinner but yeah. the
0: rhetoric being, certain immigrants are less desirable they're coming
1: to take from us yeah. they're sending their rapists and murderers and then we have a mass shooting in Texas where somebody targets latino people right um so yeah that that's what i'm talking about is yeah. that's those are the dog whistles um and when you um are reckless in leadership um there's a massive fallout um we support young people who um, in our monthly healing circles will say like, yeah, I don't even know if my mom, like sometimes I'm at school and I don't even know if she's going to be home when I get there. Yeah. Because Trump is threatening ICE raids um, and our city isn't a sanctuary city and our county is attempting to put Trump language yeah. into our county <laughs> board of supervisors. You, you know what I mean? So it's like, um, yeah, if I'm worried that my mom won't be home, um, I probably don't really care about what I'm learning in class. And even if I can focus on it as a distraction, um, I'm having to battle this thing living in my body, my, mm-hmm. my heart. And so th- that's sort of what I'm talking about is, um, it manifests differently. It's not just a political talking point. It's not just a debate. It's not just a strategy to win voters. Like these are real lives. Um, as a woman who um, has done work to heal from sexual abuse, um, my body is mine. I am sovereign. And to have a administration that wants to take my sovereignty over my own body from me um, is really, it's really triggering and I have to um, step into my healing work again to reclaim myself um, and to not um, fall into the fear that is being triggered. And um, the, um, powerlessness that I know um, when your body is not yours. Yeah. And so, yeah, all of these things are real.
0: Yeah. So I pastored a, a church for a long time that was mainly white and evangelical and have certainly seen, the for me, the disconnect between what I read in the Bible and extreme right-wing politics I, I don't actually see that they line up very well you have to really stretch some of those verses to make it work. I have many good friends who are love God and love people and they totally disagree with me on that but the the thing that really got to me and has has caused it sort of a change in us and in our household is that we thought most of that was benign that it was off it wasn't exactly where, being Christ-like was, but it was fairly harmless. And hearing stories like yours where it's like, hey, this isn't harmless at all. Mm -hmm. This is extremely harmful Mm -hmm. to people who are American people. um, When we start to think of people as others and we can dehumanize them and take skin off of them and make them uh, something subhuman, Mm -hmm. we can do terrible things like I live just a few blocks from where we put American citizens into camps because they looked Japanese and we were afraid of Japanese people. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: and we've been able to, as a country, yeah. um, engage with that narrative, um, less so than we've been able to engage with the narrative of genocide and indigenous people. Mm-hmm. Governor Governor Newsom was the first governor of California to acknowledge um, indigenous peoples of this land and to apologize um, for what happened and apologies, right? Folks are like, so what if they're gonna say sorry? And it's not about sorry, right? Yeah, that right. doesn't fix anything. But when you speak truth, we can start truly healing. Mm-hmm. But until then, it doesn't happen, and yeah. we struggle with um that in a lot of ways. But the Japanese internment was something that we we found our way back to in a pretty quick way um i'm sure japanese people have a lot of feelings about that that i i don't share that experience mm-hmm. um but yeah it's interesting to me sort of what we're willing to name and what we're willing what, what we're not yeah. willing to i
0: think it's a, i think it's a good a good example to look at because i think we all do acknowledge that that mm-hmm. that was really wrong mm-hmm. um that the joseph mccarthy co- communist uh congressional hearings were really wrong mm-hmm. and and that's our capability as a people and and I think if we can start to tie that to uh well even now in Tulsa Oklahoma they're looking at you know thousands of of black people were were killed and thrown mm-hmm. into mass graves mm-hmm. and and start to say these these are atrocities akin to anything else that's happened in the history of the world mm-hmm. Then I think we can start to again get get a little bit humbler in who we are as a people, and and start to say, I mean, for me, when we start putting kids in cages at the border, we have to say, no, we have promised ourselves we would never go here again, mm-hmm. and so that's why I try to kind of tie those things together. Yeah, and there's
1: there. a quote I'm going to mess it up, but it's like until the story is told, you know, from the perspective of the lion, like the hunter will always be glorified, or however that quote goes yeah um but it's sort of how we tell american history we tell it from the perspective of the european um settler right right um
0: and what that ultimately comes back to is people you know we have to trace that back to we won we took it and mm -hmm. so it's ours and Mm -hmm. now anybody else who says that doesn't work for me is Mm -hmm. now an enemy to our culture Mm -hmm. in some way Mm -hmm. wow yeah (laughs) <laughs> but none of us really want to be the the despotic uh conqueror.
1: No, and and nobody wants to feel guilty yeah. or shame. Um and um and I've been trying to really sit with, with that and um
0: Yeah, how we, I'm looking for that language and how to be able to have that conversation with people before they get defensive.
1: Yeah, so, f- so far, Mark Charles is the only person I've heard who T- can talk about can talk about white guilt and white shame and how it manifests in um you know belligerent rage at times right like this how do you know this avoidance of taking ownership or like we hear the like white lives matter or all lives matter um there's nothing wrong with being white and it's like nobody's saying any of those things right. um but we're what we are saying is that something happened here yeah
0: I mean, the very basic in Fresno where we are is there was there. We have to acknowledge that at very least there were redlining laws that made sure that people of color couldn't go north of a particular barrier that happened. It's documented. And even when it became illegal, it continued to happen for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. And And to be able to say. And ultimately, what I try to say to my white conservative friends—that impacts the economy of of all of us. You know, mm-hmm. if you want to put it into a, a conservative context, mm-hmm. until we can resolve those issues, Fresno can never be the city that it potentially could be. Mm-hmm. And so, it's it's imperative for my well being, which is a bad context to put it into. But sometimes you got to convince people there's a reason. Mm-hmm. Other than just as humans, we should care, and as Christians, we're commanded to care. From from my perspective, mm-hmm. but this is we we can't. Re- there are some things that are just never going to get fixed until we do come to that reality and say, "Hey, part of the history that I'm a, that I've inherited mm-hmm. is my responsibility to to revisit and bring healing to, so we can really see things change
1: and to maybe to maybe not. um or maybe what I'm trying to say is that the way that manifests is not in leadership or leadership at the front anyway, Mm -hmm. that what it looks like to be helpful in amending um, this wound is um, listening is deepening your learning is um, facilitating the healing of those who have been impacted. Um, I think, you know, a lot of this like, Language can still feel like it's my job to save or rescue or elevate or lift these people, right? Mm. Still, the othering, and so it's like, yes, even
0: if you're doing it in a caring way, you're yeah. still. Yeah. And
1: and because again, we're not asking to be rescued; we're asking for equitable access to resources that have always belonged to us, <laughs> and that the deficits you per- not you, but that are perceived right. about us, right? You can Um,
0: say you. It's okay. (laughs) I'm learning too.
1: (laughs) The deficits perceived about us are um, projections of your own mind. Hmm. I have no deficits. I am wholly capable. I am wholly worthy. And it has been by design that I have been barred from access. Um, And it is by design that um, I have been wounded in the ways that I have, right? And not just whiteness, capitalism, patriarchy. Um, the depth of these and the interconnectedness of these things can't be denied either because not only am I a person of color, Latina, um, I identify as a queer person. I identify as a, as a queer woman. Um, and so when you add in those layers, um, you start experiencing or noticing more, right?
0: Yeah. And, and we look at those and, and classify them not just as unique or wonderful in that we're all different and we have great things to offer to the culture together, which is the, the theory of what America is. Mm-hmm. But we start to identify those as, as negatives mm-hmm. and, um, or, or that this is good and this is bad.
1: Yeah, or outside the norm of what is acceptable. Right. Right, which is cis, hetero capitalist patriarchy.
0: <laughs> and what's so wrong with that? I, guess. <laughs> I, I mean, it's interesting because I did have a conversation with a friend this weekend and I'm going to recommend he listen to this podcast. So he's probably <laughs> listening right now as I say this. But his his conversation with me was, you know, at the end of the day, the economy is good and and that helps everybody. And uh, you know, black unemployment is at an all-time low, as the president likes to say a lot. And mm-hmm. and so, again, it goes back to our original question. What's the problem? At the end of the day, why wouldn't I just vote my pocketbook mm-hmm. and everybody else's pocketbook? Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I wish he wouldn't tweet. I wish he would quit tweeting. But, <laughs> but these things are really harmful to people, and hearing that that harm is really important in the midst of making our pocketbook decisions.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's... What's, like, the ROI? If that's where your money, if that's your priority, what do you get and what do you lose? Yeah. And what do we all lose? We lose brilliance. We lose um, culture. We lose flavor. We lose life. We lose um, so much vibrancy when when we are whittled away and whittled away and only those that fit this mold can thrive here. Wow. We lose so much of each other. Yeah. And we hide so much of ourselves, and then we suffer. And then we see the health issues we see in our communities. Um, I would also mention to your friend (laughs) that substance use is at an all time high, Um, suicide, Mm -hmm. um, anxiety, depression, PTSD. Um, Like, we are a country that is not well. (laughs) Yeah. And so, um, is your pocketbook really what what you're paying most attention to yeah um because folks are in so much pain and and unconsciously even um that we're harming ourselves and we're harming each other and we're destroying our planet Hmm.
0: and and i wanted to bring this issue into it because even here locally we we had a, a mayoral election and and i know that and even that you know a, a friend of ours told my wife hey the the north fresno church elects the mayor of fresno we all and he just said it in a way of like that's a fact we all know that and and i know that election was difficult for for your community and and still to be decided as we're as we're talking we still don't know the outcome of the election but we but um, so I'm trying to figure out how to keep this keep this from keep out of keep going. it nonpartisan. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Good word. Um, but the thing that was was important again, as as you and I were talking about this, is like you had young people ready to ask questions at a mayoral forum, and then the Republican candidate refused to show up, mm-hmm. and I think he even said didn't feel safe to show up at the event. and And what does that mean to to your group of people and the and the, the young people that you were working with in that
1: it's a reminder that folks with power don't have to care about mm. what you think, and that's 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 where rage comes from. That's where a lot of like when you see people really angry, it's because um we show up, we do our part, we um engage in dialogue and discourse, we elevate our issues, um and at the end you have of the to be
0: day, really gentle to us, don't and, you?
1: And at the end of the day. <laughs> And at the end of the day, I can day, even feel
0: you doing it today, so thank you for being <laughs> gentle.
1: And at the end of the day, we it's decided whether or not we're telling the truth, whether or not we're worthy of being f- accounted for, factored in, considered. Um, and so it is, a, it is a really frustrating process, and even even before that, um, when we were doing our Fresno was looking for your chief of police, um, you know, brand committed to doing a series of community listening sessions. Our current mayor. hmm And, um, okay, law enforcement has has the culture of law enforcement. um and this is all by evidence of arrest rates. You can see that there's a racial disparity and that there is also a disparity in um, over-policing of certain communities and mm-hmm. others, especially here in Fresno. Um, what communities are considered dangerous and not. Um, <clears throat> and so our young people are deeply impacted by this. Personally, generationally, etc. Um, and so what do we do? Show up to every listening session support young people to step into their healing so that they can speak truth about how they've been impacted mm-hmm. and what they hope for our community. Um, whole hearts on the table. You you said you're going to listen. Here we are. Um, what happens? First of all, they publish a report that hard to read doesn't tell a story so we published a parallel report that was everything we heard our young people say in these meetings everything our community asked for um things we demanded um they make they had made a commitment to integrate community voice um the last minute again because they can they decided to bypass the process
0: yeah So they put in an interim.
1: They put in somebody and, you know, I've, I've spoken with chief hall. Um, and for me, this isn't about chief hall. Um, but he, he said, I didn't apply. (laughs) I didn't want the job. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't really know why they put me in this position. Oh, wow. Right. Um, he says, you know, I think I'm figuring it out now, but. I didn't get it, and and I think you know I have paying attention to to what he's up to, and I'm um, I have appreciation for some some of the things he's done, and um and still then when that happened, they moved even the announcement of the new chief to a um, secured um, media room in a government building that we could not access.
0: Mm.
1: They locked us out of the process physically. And, like, in every way possible. And so when our young people are like, Hey, Miss Ashley, what the heck? <laughs> and I have to sit in front of them and say, I'm so sorry. yeah, It happened again. I'm so sorry.
0: And how does that impact, then, the, the feeling of disenfranchisement for...
1: I told somebody, these are the moments... Where you get no no justice, no peace. Yeah, this is when folks get so frustrated. This is this is why because yeah. we showed up, we did our thing, we showed up with less resource, in more pain, and we still showed up. And so to still be discounted, it just reinforces, right? And then that's why I don't get upset with people who, um, for their own sanity and well being, have disengaged. Hmm. I'm I'm will n I'm like a harm reductionist through and through. I will not ask you to do something that causes you deep pain. Um without the supports and the network and and I don't have the all the resources to take care of all of my folks to get everybody there. Um and so when folks disengage, I, I will sit with them in that and be like, I feel you. I sit in that too sometimes. There's so- a lo- there's a lot of days I don't wanna
0: show up. <laughs> 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 and it's it's why when there's a flashpoint then people start throwing bricks through windows. Mhm. Because now it's it's hit a, it's it's bubbling over what has been contained inside painfully for a long time.
1: Mhm. I've had to to spend so much time and money um learning how to facilitate my suffering in a way that people can hear. Yeah in a way that creates change in a way that doesn't hurt myself or other people. Um, and, and, and some people just don't have to do that.
0: Yeah. So I'm a big believer that, um, the millennials are going to change this, that, that you, you see what, and and I'm an Xer, so I, I'm just right on the border. So don't blame (laughs) me. No, I'm kidding. Um, and, and I'm certain of that and I'm certain of that there's, there's something really special in your generation that's going to, to bring about this in a really amazing way. But what you told me is that's, that's not good enough for today. Mm-hmm. That doesn't help today, does mm-hmm.
1: it? Yeah. It's that folks don't get, I, I work in youth, youth organizing, right? And mm-hmm. a lot of folks are saying, you know, it's the generation behind me. It's not even millennials. Yeah. Um, they're louder, they're fiercer, they're queer, they're less apologetic, all the things, right? Um, and I'm like, and it doesn't absolve us of continuing to um, break down doors to make things less painful for them. Yeah. Um, because I will never ask for a young person um, to do something I wouldn't be willing to do. Right. Um, I would never ask a young person to hold something that's too heavy for me. Um, and so if I'm not going to be there holding it with them, I'm not gonna ask them to do that because I'm gonna first wonder why I didn't pick up my part. um, and we can all do something. Um, and so i I believe that too. Yeah, um young people are um incredible. <laughs> um, and um, it's unjust to passed the baton just yet completely but to in, in what we should be doing instead is making invitations to collaborate um like if you don't have young people around your table in your strategy sessions um if you are not inviting critique from young people um
0: You said you're part of the problem. Somebody, what did you say? Over, (laughs) if you're over 40, you need to be mentored by somebody under 30.
1: Absolutely, (laughs) (laughs) and authentically as equals. I think like we do a lot of like adultism. Like, oh, you don't know, and you've only how old are you, kid? Ha! Right. Um, and and I sit with young people that are so wise, um, so kind. Um, I learn something from them every single day. Um, so. I'm um, capable, hopeful, um, persistent, all the all the things, thoughtful, like critical thinkers who are like, hey, have you considered this? And I'm like, I never thought of that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so all of that is why when you hear somebody say, it's good to be a moderate, what you hear is, hey, you're not coming to stand with me today with the people that are hurting. Yeah.
1: What I hear is, you know, or what I think is, I'm glad you're comfortable. Yeah. It's so a lot of people aren't. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: it's not that comfortable a place to be today. But I love hearing that because you know one of the one of the things that happened in my life was reading uh, Martin Luther King Jr.'s letter from Birmingham Jail. I, mm-hmm. I remember it was New Year's Day, 2017, and and it jumped off the page that he said, "I'm most disappointed in the white moderates mm-hmm. that keep telling us to wait for a better time." Mm-hmm. And, and you
1: keep saying you love me.
0: Yeah. And uh, he said, "I thought Cornell
1: West says justice is what love looks like in public. Hmm.
0: So so there there is a demand on us. You
1: don't get to love me in the shadows. You don't get to love me when it's safe, um, because I don't have those privileges. And so you show up and you show up in front of me and before me, and you and you knock down the people who I don't have access to, Hmm. um, because that's what it looks like to be an ally. Um, Allyship isn't an ideology." Uh, to be an ally is a verb. You have to do it and you have to do it daily and you have to do it most, uh, most urgently. um, When you, um, when you're feeling like you don't want to. So in that moment of like, Oh, (laughs) do I? Yeah, that's it. That's the moment. (laughs) That's when you step forward. That's when you say the thing. That's when you say, Hey man, I love you, but that's not cool.
0: Yeah. It's not okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think we're in that season a lot where where that's that's being required of a lot of us. And and for me, from a, a from a Christian perspective, it's it's biblical. It's if you don't care for the least of these, you're not a part of God's family. Mm-hmm. So that should be a driving force for us to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the idea that that our society will break down if we don't find a way to bridge the gap between the haves and the haves not have nots or those that have access to resources i think Mm -hmm. as you were saying and those that are not allowed or barred from having access to resources
1: yeah and i think change is really painful for people everybody has again like i mean human human every evolution or every shift in the way in which we engage with one another has been painful and i think organically we are built to avoid pain right survival instincts kick in i don't want to suffer i don't want to and to change means to step into unknowing which again is and i think in
0: american culture we're even more geared toward pain avoidance at all costs Mm -hmm.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: because we have so much ability to buy medicine or binge on netflix or you you name it yeah
1: yeah and so yeah like do i want to sacrifice my comfort yeah right that that's a question that When people say they're my ally, I will ask, what are you willing to surrender? Because you don't get to be here and keep everything you came with. Yeah, that's for sure. (laughs) Um, And change doesn't have to be um, like loss. I've been having this conversation with friends, but loss doesn't have to be um, negative. Like I've been talking a lot with my friends about like loss is liberation. Yeah. Like when you lose things that don't fit anymore, um, you're freer to find the thing that does. And if we can all step into um our discomfort towards liberation, um, imagine the things we will find if we put down the things that just don't fit anymore.
0: Yeah. Well, we were able to, We I started a church 10 years ago and we were able last year to hand the leadership of that church off to a young couple that's a little bit older than you and it's been the absolute joy of our life mm-hmm. to be able to see the next generation take this thing on and and run and and so why wouldn't why can't loss be that mm-hmm. that we're giving other people from our resource to have something better than we had i i think it's amazing and mm-hmm. so i i do encourage boomers and even even our older indexers to start saying how do i how do I pass on a legacy? Because mm-hmm. I cannot take this with me. Mm-hmm. So what am I going to do to sow into the next generation to, to see something greater than me come And there to be? are so
1: many important roles to be filled yeah. because we do need elders. I need people who have seen the last three generations or three decades, right? I need that. I need that guidance. I need that depth. Um. And... And I need the invitation to learn from and to um, grow together. Um, And I think it's just about like, can we, can we reorganize Hmm. and can we see ourselves as still contributing and still being, you know, leaders? Because I think that's a big thing is folks want to be at the front and it's like, leadership looks like a lot of things, like a lot of things. And it's not always that.
0: I think uh, you're not saying boomers get out of the way. And you're not saying white people go away and let everybody else take over. It's, <laughs> it's hey, let's join together and and learn something new and, and figure these things out together.
1: Yeah, I'm saying I don't want anybody to be suffering. Yeah, I don't want anyone to be scared, um, because I've been scared and it's painful and uncomfortable and um, no way to to live. Um, and can we all? Sort of hold hands together to work towards something that feels better for uh, all of us.
0: Yeah, and it's a little hard sometimes. And and now I know. My, now I know my friends are going to say, "I knew it, Paul. You've become a liberal." Um, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, when you see Michael Bloomberg spent half a million dollars on an an election campaign, and that's not even a dent in in his wealth. I mean, we we have the resource. The yeah. resource is available.
1: And yeah, I was just having this conversation a couple of weeks ago at you know <laughs> Fresno equity is the the word um and a woman asked a question I could tell she was it was coming from a place of fear, like she was really worried um that if we make this and in her language, right, if we make this easier for um them mm. um what what will i have to what will they take from me um and i wasn't my best self that day <laughs> <laughs> and um i said i'm going to push back on that because what you're discounting is is everything it took to even get there mm. right um and uh, i think like we have to stop thinking about it as as loss or as like us and them or or we and it's just um That whole framework um, is what's gotten us to where we are, right? Um, this whole like I need to take as much as I can now, which is the the fallacy, this fallacy of scarcity mm-hmm. um, that capitalism um, necessitates, so that we all keep striving, keep consuming, keep feeling like we don't have enough, um, so we keep playing the game. Right. Um, when in reality, there's beyond enough there's beyond enough and nobody loses anything in fact most of us will get more yeah
0: yeah
1: (laughs) um and so i just i really wish um and again i've i asked myself this question i asked it on my facebook is like how do we hold those with power accountable because they get to opt into accountability yeah do I believe that you're deserving of holding me accountable? Do I believe you're capable? do I want to you know allow this?
0: <laughs> well, I think it's a fascinating conversation and I, and so I'm thank you for teaching me and letting me learn from you and be mentored by you uh, through this conversation and i I do think um and i don't I don't totally know what this looks like Hors, but I think my my wife and I have some sort of bridge application in all of this too say to the, the generations like, Hey, let's, let's figure this out together. But, but also I think it's, it's important. And I do this a lot on the show is just to say, you know, in a lot of ways, we didn't know what we didn't know mm-hmm. and we haven't done this well for a long, long time. And, and so we're trying to learn now mm-hmm. to do that better. And so just in representation of, of a whole people group mm-hmm. of us, you know, we're, we're sorry. We're sorry. Mm-hmm. We just didn't know any better.
1: And that's why I showed up today, yeah,, mm-hmm. because i said if if that's where you are, I believe you,
0: yeah, so
1: and, and now we can do the healing work together.
0: I like yeah. it <laughs> and I think we we do have a role to say to people like you that we approve of you, <laughs> and we are proud of you, and we're excited to see what you're going to do with Fresno and California and America because it's going to be amazing,
1: thank you we're We're excited, and there's so much brilliance. Um and I think I wanna I wanna name that like, yeah, things are heavy for us. Um, but what's incredible is that even so, um, we are vibrant and um playful and alive and um just so magnanimous anyway. Like we shine so bright. Hmm. Um and that's what I think it feels like to be in community, um and to be in my community. Um it is the best tasting food. It is the best music. It is um, just liberated dancing and movement and play. And like, this is who we are.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Love it. Love it. <laughs> and I, I do love that because that's empowered. And I was talking with somebody the other day about impoverished neighborhoods and she's like, stop it. They're not impoverished. Mm-mm. They're just not.
1: We are rich. We are rich beyond measure. Yeah. um, Rich in ways that I think Americans um have been robbed of. Um, which is connection, community, um, you know multi-generational living um, like this whole like s- this way of, of being in community um, that just doesn't exist in the suburbs no. <laughs> yeah yeah um, and so uh, we are wealthy beyond measure and um, we are all deserving of cultivating communities that feel better for everyone
0: that's great. Mm-hmm. Thanks for listening to this podcast on the Nonpartisan Evangelical. And don't forget, get the novel Joseph Comes to Town when the religious right goes religiously wrong. If you go to our website, npepodcast.com, click on Joseph the Novel link. It'll show you where you can buy the book, either in paperback or in the ebook version. Or you can listen to The Religious Right Go Religiously Wrong in our NPE Patreon community at just $5.99 a month as we release Joseph the Audiobook series. Love to see you join us soon and check out all our resources on the nonpartisan evangelical at our website, npepodcast.com. Remember, God does not require you to be a part of a particular ideology to be a part of his favor or in alignment with God's heart for people today. In fact, What he wants may be quite the opposite because God is not mad at you and he's not mad at the world. Remember that. Have a great week. Be well. This is Paul Spurringen for the Nonpartisan Evangelical Podcast at npepodcast.com.